0: Welcome to Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation podcast series. I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly episode series, you'll find content related to the diagnosis and treatment of disorders of gut-brain interaction, DGBIs, as well as special guests as we discuss topics such as gut-directed hypnotherapy, medications to treat DGBIs, communication skills, improving your clinical visit, and helpful patient advocacy tips. Thanks for joining us. Hi everybody, welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today we are joined by another special guest. It is a Roan Foundation board member, Dr. Brian Lacy from Mayo Clinic is joining us today. And the topic that um, we're, we're going to be discussing based upon your questions and your input is related to the use of probiotics and prebiotics, and we're going to find out what all the hype is about. So Dr. Drossman, hello, and Dr. Lacey, hello to you as well.
1: Hey, Joanna. Hey, Brian. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. What a great topic.
2: Well, thanks for doing it. Uh, Just for the audience to know, as Joanna mentioned, Brian is a, a member of the Rome Foundation Board of Directors. He's a professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville in gastroenterology. He's also the editor of one of the more prestigious GI journals, the American Journal of Gastroenterology. So he's fully apprised of the literature. And with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about this, this Is such a topical area. I think there's a lot of facts, maybe a lot of misunderstandings. Why, why don't we start, uh, because it relates to bacteria, what is the microbiome? And then we'll move on to probiotics and all that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way to set the stage and really the foundation for this conversation. So when we refer to the gut microbiome, uh, that really refers to this huge collection of cells in the GI tract, mostly in the colon. We know that there are trillions, not billions, but trillions of microorganisms that live in the large intestine, that the average human has three to four pounds of bacteria in the large intestine. About 500 to 1,000 species, on average, live in the GI tract and that the, you actually have more living cells in your GI tract uh, than you do in your entire body combined. These are mostly bacteria, but they also include a small amount of yeast and even a new category we call archaea. So this is really kind of a living organism within your own body, which is fascinating. And we've learned so much about it in the last decade or so.
2: Makes me feel like I wanna take a shower now with all of that bacteria.
1: <laughs> yes, if you have OCD, this is not a great topic.
2: All right. So moving on, then we know about probiotics. The last two or three decades, it's become very popular. What is a probiotic?
1: Okay, what is a probiotic? And you made a great point there. We've learned so much in the last couple of decades, but don't forget, you know, the Nobel laureate Eli Metchnikoff in about 1900 started talking about probiotics when he advocated for the consumption of live bacteria in yogurt or fermented milk. So this goes further back, but really it's been more topical in the last 10 to 20 years. So what is a probiotic? A probiotic is defined as a live microorganism. And that's a key phrase live microorganism that went consumed in adequate amounts confer a health benefit to the host.
2: Okay, then we hear about prebiotic and symbiotic.
1: Yeah, so it's good to get these terms out. So a prebiotic is a food or dietary supplement that results in specific changes in the composition or the activity of the gut microbiome. So basically think of prebiotics as something that may feed your probiotic and a symbiotic kind of sounds like a combination, which it is. A symbiotic are food or dietary supplements, which are a mixture of probiotics and prebiotics that are thought to act synergistically to kind of promote the growth and survival of beneficial organisms in the GI tract.
2: So, so probiotics are good bacteria. There's good and bad in the basic sense of it. Um, and you take a probiotic and that confers health. Okay. Uh, let me let me understand how this little itty bitty pill can affect trillions of bacteria and make health better.
1: Right, so there's the conundrum. And uh, I think our listeners can't see us. I'm smiling as you said that. So we just explained you have three to four pounds of bacteria, trillions. How could you take a single capsule and have that influence this very delicate balance of good bacteria and bad bacteria in your colon? And that really is the conundrum. So you know, lots of patients and providers believe that they confer benefits but really the data supporting that is not very strong. And you made a good point there, because what are we expecting to happen? We're expecting that you take a probiotic. It should be live. But as you recall, there was that neat study about seven or eight years ago now. Somebody went to the grocery store, they bought 85 or 90 probiotics off the shelf, and most were dead on arrival. They probably have no benefit at all. Number two, we have to assume that probiotic is live and get to through the entire GI tract to the colon to start altering that balance and promoting good health. But most have never been tested. We're not even sure they get through the GI tract alive, and most do not colonize the GI tract. That said, so I think a lot of us are a little bit skeptical about all the conferred or presumed health benefits. And when we start looking at the data, the data is not really great. Now, does that not mean they don't work? No, it may mean they work in individual patients, but really when we look at it globally, whether for IBS or ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, the data is actually very weak. So
2: is there any putative mechanism that people are promoting as to how it might be helping?
1: So I think there are a lot of theories, and I think likely for patients who do get benefits, because there are patients who do benefit from these agents. It's probably different in different people, meaning maybe in some patients it changes the bacterial flora locally in the GI tract. Maybe in some patients it changes gut function, gut sensation, or gut motor activity. Maybe in some patients, it changes the local immune response and the local pH and helps you process food differently. So likely it's different in different people. And as you've already alluded to, there are so many different strains, so many different species, so many different combinations. It's really hard to tease this out because that's never really been tested. Okay,
2: and And maybe if we drill down a bit, there are certain types of bacteria, lactobacillus. What, what are the kinds of bacteria or yeast that, that confer this benefit that we use the probiotics for?
1: Absolutely. So there are lots of different species that have been used, and certainly one of the most common is bifidobacterium. And as we know from data from the literature, including some from you, we know that IBS patients, if we use those as an example, generally have a little bit of a different gut flora than healthy volunteers, although it differs from IBS patients, so it's not one. But bifidobacteria seem to be beneficial. Lactobacillus by itself, another well-studied one, by itself is not very beneficial, but in some studies, when paired with bifidobacterium, seems to be more helpful. There are some yeast strains that have been used. Saccharomyces, as an example, seems to promote benefits in some people but again, not all. So I think part of the problem is and with all these studies, um, they're, they're kind of sometimes small in number. Probably the patients who enter the studies have different symptoms. There are different IBS subtypes if we focus on that. And then again, we're, we're have the difficulty where different strains have been used, different combinations, and even different doses. So as an example, is a 10 billion dose of probiotic, is that actually better than a 1 billion or 5 billion? We we really don't even know.
2: So how can you tell? Is there any way, any guidelines when someone's going to the pharmacy of what they should choose? Should it be just the bifido? Should it be 10 billion of five different strains? is it or is there no data
1: yeah, so great question. I think a good phrase is still caveat emptor, buyer beware. So I think if I were to send somebody to the pharmacy, I might suggest, one, make sure they're live. That's a key part of the definition, remember. Number two, have they been studied? So a few probiotics, and I want to be careful about, I don't want to single one out as good or bad, but a few have been studied. So we know that the probiotic sold as a line actually has been studied in large randomized placebo-controlled data showing some benefits and actually some changes in serum cytokine levels. You remember that study. And we know that VSL number three, again, I'm not trying to pull one out compared to others, but that actually has been tested and studied. So I might recommend those compared to some others. It doesn't mean that others don't work, but I just can't give you hard data about that.
2: Yeah, that's bifidobacter infantis, I think it's called. Correct. Thank you. Um, there actually is. Um, well, let me let me ask you another question. You talked about conferring health, and I think we have to make a distinction between the general public taking probiotics for gut health and having uh, DGBI disorder of gut brain interaction, like irritable bowel, and assuming benefit for their that condition. Could you say something about is there evidence that it would treat? the IBS any differently than conferring health, or what is the distinction?
1: Yeah, I think there are so many neat questions buried in that one. The first is, for the average population who may not have any symptoms at all, whether it's GI or anything else, do you need to take a probiotic? The answer would be no, absolutely not. If you have a reasonably balanced diet, there's no data to show that the average Person needs to take a probiotic. Now, if we think about IBS, might it change symptoms or would it promote health or confer a health benefit? very fine distinction there. So we do have some data, again, using the bifidobacterium infantis data from Peter Worrell and colleagues sold as a line showing that for IBSD patients, there was some improvement in IBS symptoms. Now, did it promote good health, meaning mental health or physical health? We don't have that. Although you may recall the very neat study published about two years ago, I am i can't recall the first author showing that actually a probiotic seemed to do something when they measured brain function. Remember, that was a very cool study, small study, showing, again, that neat interaction between the gut and the brain. So there probably is something there, and I think it may just show we just don't know enough about it yet.
2: Yeah, that was bifidobacter longum, and that was the one that not only helped IBS symptoms, but reduced anxiety scores. So getting into the brain-gut connection, the microbiome
1: can play a role as well. Yeah.
2: Uh, Is there any any harm? Uh, Are there any side effects we can expect?
1: Great question, because, you know, for anything we use, whether it's a diet or a supplemental medicine or a prescription medication, we want to make sure it's both safe first and efficacious. So here's one of the problems with probiotics. They really are not regulated. When you think about some of the drugs we recommend, you know, we're talking about studies involving hundreds and thousands of patients. Probiotics are not regulated that way. They're really, the regulation is minimal and they base it based on the claims of the manufacturer. So if the manufacturer just claims it might improve some symptoms, that might pass uh, merit from the FDA, but they may not say anything about safety or efficacy in any study at all. So you have to be careful. So again, buyer beware. Um, Number two, I'm sorry, Doug, go ahead. No, no, go, you go. oh number two is that in terms of safety there could be some issues so there have been case reports about patients getting very sick from some probiotics especially the yeast strains so if you're immunocompromised if you have HIV if you've had chemotherapy if you have significant disorders of gut permeability you probably should not be on a probiotic whether it's a bacteria or a yeast because you actually may have that taken up in the bloodstream. And again, as I've mentioned, some cases of fungemia, where patients have huge levels of fungus in their bloodstream, which was fatal in one case.
2: And, and people who have IBS, they have bloating, and they presumably take it for bloating. But is there is I think there's some recent evidence that it makes bloating worse in some cases
1: absolutely so we know that about you know in some IBS studies as high as 70 to 90% of patients have coexisting bloating the concept again makes sense let's take a probiotic improve our gut health that should help bloating but for many patients it actually makes the bloating worse so i don't recommend that for that specific symptom at all
2: so coming around the corner here what what are the what are the What are the guidelines that you would recommend about whether or when or how probiotics should be used, if at all?
1: (laughs) Right. So I think we can maybe look at three different major guidelines, looking at really the evidence, because our job should be as scientists and as clinicians, let's look at the data. So we know from the American College of Gastroenterology guidelines in 2018, where they focused on several questions, including probiotics, the level of data was considered quite weak and they did not recommend probiotics. There was a recent ACG, American College of Gastroenterology guideline on IBS with several key clinical questions. And once again, based on the data to date, a weak recommendation was made for IBS. Um, And then the AGA, the American uh, Gastroenterology Association, uh, recommended probiotics in limited situations. They asked nine key clinical questions. Uh, about the use in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and C. difficile colitis and antibiotic-associated diarrhea. And pretty consistently, probiotics did not do very well. I think what this tells us, is we have so much to learn. This is a fascinating area. Patients are interested. We're going to spend $7 billion in the coming year on probiotics in the United States alone. So clearly, there's a lot of interest. There's clearly a lot of need. But I think we should tread cautiously because the data supporting its use, even in IBS, is not very good.
2: Now, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind is we will have a lot of people out there who will swear by it. And when we're looking at these studies, we're looking at average data, comparing one group of hundreds or thousands to another. But if an individual gets benefit, I think you'd probably agree that there's no reason not to stay with it. If taking it helps and not taking it makes things worse. So there are going to be individual variations.
1: Absolutely. And I, I I like the way you said that a lot. And the way I phrase it to my patients is the data I'm giving you is based on kind of global data and populations, but everybody is different. Everybody is unique. And so if you have found some benefit and it's safe, we just want to make sure it's always safe. Great. Continue it. Um hopefully it's not too expensive. Some of these products are fairly expensive. And so at least with my patients, I try to make sure too, that there's a, a reasonable benefit based on the cost as well.
2: Very good. Well, thanks very much, Brian. This was really very enlightening. Uh, and uh, let me turn it back over to Johanna who can wrap it up.
0: Yeah, that was wonderful. Great discussion about a very popular topic and clearly uh, a product that a lot of people spend a lot of money on, given that uh, Uh, quote that you had there about the the dollar amount of marketing on this product. So thank you very much, Dr. Lacey and Dr. Drossman. If you have a question that you would like us to answer on a future episode, please let me know. You can send us a message or drop it right there in the comment below, and we will get back with you and and see how we can answer that for you. Have a great rest of your day and a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye now. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation podcast series. This has been your host, Johanna Ruddy. Find more helpful tips and resources at the Rome Foundation website at theromefoundation.org. There you'll find videos and printable resources that are helpful for patients and clinicians alike. We'll see you next time.